right. Welcome back. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to the Sunday Wire. I'm your host, Patrick Henningsen. We're streaming out live on the Alternate Current Radio Network and also at 21stCenturyWire.com. Thank you so much for rejoining us on this live broadcast. Now, our next guest uh, has been on the program before. Uh, he is with the University of Tehran uh, in Iran, and his name is Dr. Mohammed Morandi. He is a, a very uh, well-publicized and visible commentator on Middle East and global affairs, and you'll probably see him on a number of international networks. Uh, we're very fortunate to have him on the program to talk about a very important subject. Obviously, we talked earlier about the uh, bombing or the explosion uh, in, in Beirut, Lebanon. And uh, it's already escalated politically. Uh, there are protests on the streets now. So we're going to talk a little bit about this and see where this situation is heading with Dr. Morandi. Thank you so much uh, for joining us, Dr. Morandi. Thank you for having me. Now, I just wanted to, to get your first impressions. I mean, Beirut, Lebanon's been through a lot over the years, uh, many decades of civil war. And some of the residents that I spoke to said that more damage was done in, in a matter of minutes uh, to the city, in some cases, than, than was done over, you know, over decades of civil war. Um, what were your first impressions when you saw what happened? Well, I lived in Beirut for a year, and I travel there often for conferences and uh, invitations from universities. Uh, the devastation is uh, very extensive and very painful. The, the economic costs uh, for the whole of Lebanese society will be felt for a very long time. The deaths and the injured, of course, it, it goes without saying, but I think uh, the, the damage to uh, ordinary people's lives is something that we can't uh, calculate at the moment. Uh, the, the disaster was, in my opinion, not surprising because the Lebanese government has traditionally been very corrupt. It's, a, it's been a pro-Western government. It's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's been a mafia. Uh, and the, the government and, and very wealthy people connected to Saudi Arabia, uh, to uh, countries in the Persian Gulf, Arab countries and the oil-rich countries in the Persian Gulf, and the United States and Europe, these people have both been in charge of the economy. They've, they've had a monopoly on much of the economy, as well as uh, the fact that they've also been in power. So on the one hand, the person, a person is a prime minister, but he's also doing, he has close business with relations with uh, foreign powers and uh, ministers this, uh, the same. And after the recent election in Lebanon, the, a lot of these people lost election, this Western and Saudi-affiliated uh, uh, mafia. And uh, this, you know, the port was their base. It, it belonged to them, basically. And their corrupt practices led to this cat catastrophe, assuming that there was no attack, there was no bomb, or there was no... We don't know at the moment. But in any case, the fact that these chemicals were stored there... Uh, was because of their corruption. And the irony is that their own corruption has led to their own devastation because they, more than anyone else, have been hurt by this uh, by this explosion because all of their businesses, 
uh, or many of their businesses are located near the the uh, the uh, harbor near the port, and uh, they've lost billions of dollars. Yes, and uh, a lot of people would say, you know, colloquially, Lebanon's run by four billionaires, much like other countries uh, in, in the area. But um, that's very, very true there. And so, what what does this mean politically now? You mentioned before uh, the the pro Western and the pro Saudi influence uh, in the government, and you know, Lebanon's been an unusual situation. The U.S. have put sanctions on Lebanon. In the last 20-something years, the U.S. has been fairly neutral-ish, at least in the front with Lebanon. Now they've got sanctions on. It seems like the U.S. is really going for uh, Hezbollah, uh, going for Iran, but but they need to kind of deal with the Hezbollah situation before they could feel that they would have a green light, the, the, the neocons, the war hawks in Washington to, you know, approach Iran in a more aggressive way. What, what are your thoughts on that dynamic of this situation? Well, the Americans are not neutral. Right now, they've imposed very harsh sanctions on the whole of the Lebanese population and sanctions on, on Syria aimed to starve the country. The Caesar Act is basically aimed to destroy the, the country. And, uh, and, you know, I think this just proves that the American agenda in Syria from the very start of this, of the conflict was to destroy. And I remember in 2011 and 12 and 13 and 14, Western media constantly spoke about, you know, ISIS and Al-Qaeda as freedom fighters and the opposition and militants and uh, whereas we all knew who they were. And it was only after they started beheading Westerners and when it became blatant for everyone to see that, you know, they began to call ISIS and Al-Qaeda, uh, you know, extremists. But they still continued to support the extremists through the Turks and through the Saudis and through the Qataris. The evidence is, is there's a lot of evidence. I don't need to go there. The, you know, the Defense Intelligence Agency document of 2012, uh, Hillary Clinton's emails, that WikiLeaks has uh, exposed and uh, carries a private conversation that was leaked uh, at the UN about the U.S. allowing ISIS to advance on Damascus and and then Biden's talk at Harvard in 2014. There's, there's a lot of evidence out there. We don't need to go over it. But back then, the Americans and the Europeans and their regional proxies and allies like the Turks, Saudi Arabia, Qatar, and others, they were out to destroy Syria through these extremists. And now they're out to destroy Syria and Lebanon through uh, different means. So uh, they're not uh, at all neutral. Uh, they're out to get Hezbollah basically because Hezbollah is that which prevents the Israeli regime from uh, taking over Lebanese territory. The Hezbollah was created as a result of the Israeli occupation of Lebanon. They captured half of Lebanon and Hezbollah grew out of that occupation and kicked the Israelis out of the country. And that's something that the Americans simply cannot forgive. They want their sovereignty and they are a national liberation organization. They are, you know, even their enemies admit, the most clean party in all of Lebanon. They, do, they are not known for corruption, yet they and, their, and the U.S. and their allies in the Western media are targeting Hezbollah as we speak. This port, for example, was, was in areas controlled by the pro-American 
politicians and their and their corrupt entourage. They were the ones who allowed this uh, these chemicals to be stored there for years, and uh, they are the ones who bear responsibility for this tragic situation. And now they want to bring down the government, which has only been in power for a few months. Uh, it was the, the new parliament was elected a couple of years ago. They prevented this new government from being formed for over a year. Just a few, few months ago, it was formed. Ever since then, it's been facing crisis after crisis from the Americans, both sanctions as well as unrest on the streets. And the, the protests and riots that we saw last night and, and today, these are, these are professional uh, protesters that have, uh, you know, they are pro-American and pro-Western, and they're the ones who lost the election. They they won't accept the will of the majority, and they're trying to distract attention away from the fact that their political leaders are the ones who are responsible for those chemicals being stored in the port. And uh, recently, uh, the the French president. Uh, came to Beirut and it was quite a dramatic media event. He made a, a few speeches. He went out on the street, he was hugging people and so forth. So, you know, from a public relations point of view, you know, big political optics um, with this show. But, um, you know, what are your feelings? Did, did, you, did you have a chance to you know, look at uh, some of the things that he talked about when he was there? What, how, how are you viewing that move by Macron? Well, it was basically for show. I know the neighborhood that uh, Macron went to. It is a very, very West uh, French-oriented neighborhood. In fact, uh, if you go to that neighborhood, uh, you'll see people there speaking in French with each other, even though that they're they're Arabs, but they speak in that particular neighborhood. So he knew where he was going. This was very carefully staged. It's not as if he's he would get that sort of reception across the country. Uh, and Macron also spoke about a new political order in Lebanon and saying that he'll be back and, you know, they have to get their act together. And even in his speech today, you know, he, he's speaking as if he is has a mandate to, to dictate terms to the people of Lebanon to establish a, a political order to, uh, to be the one in charge of bringing in aid. And this is a, a, a very colonialist mentality, and he, he's in no position to do that, and he will not succeed. I mean, he can't even run his own country. His, uh, he, he hasn't been able to uh, deal with the discontent that, is, that we've seen through uh, the Yellow Vest movement and, and in the general discontent that people have towards his rule in his own country. Uh, his country is on the decline. Europe is in crisis, as you know. The United States is in economic crisis. The Saudis, the Qataris, the Turks, they're all facing economic crisis. We know that there's no real aid that's going to come into this country. So I, or let's say aid without strings attached uh, and very dangerous stream, uh, strings, I, I'm, I'm quite sure. But um, he's in no position to impose terms like the 19th and 20th century Imperialists and, and the language most Lebanese found to be quite offensive. But the thing is that the American media, the Western media, they go and speak to people in in Lebanon that are like-minded, you know, the very Western-oriented people, and they they give a picture to the Western public that is that is uh, to their liking. But uh, the reality on the ground is that people in Lebanon have fought for their sovereignty and independence, and they will not accept Westerners 
dictating terms. And the same is true in Iran, the same is true in Yemen, the same is true in Iraq and Afghanistan. And that's why the Americans and the Europeans keep miscalculating. They keep trying to impose themselves on other countries. They try to um, dictate terms and it only costs uh, trillions of dollars. Obama did it, carried out endless war crimes in Syria in Iraq and Afghanistan, bombing country after country with drones. Trump is no better. He's he's the same. He he murders, uh, breaks international law, imposes sanctions, imposes starvation, helps the Saudis uh, massacre people in Yemen. Uh, there's no real difference. But the thing is, these these regimes, these Western regimes, can't understand why is it that they're hated. They think that people in this region you know, hate their so-called freedoms. Now, whether, you know, how free the United people in the United States and Europe are, that's that's another question. But no, the, the reason why they're so deeply despised is because they wish to uh, subjugate the people of this region. They wish to keep them as subordinates, and that is not going to be acceptable anymore. And they no longer have the resources to impose themselves. So over the re- more recent decades, they've become increasingly violent, Western governments. You know, whether through sanctions, they become more brutal and crude or whether, you know, through, uh, you know, death and destruction as, you know, through proxies such as through Turkey and Syria or through the Saudis and Yemen. Yeah. And it seems like the only string left is is aid or a promise of aid or loans. This seems to be the only leverage really that uh, the U.S. or Emmanuel Macron and who he represents the same same interests. Uh, that's all they have is just you know, money. It's kind of a disaster capitalist model. You know, after a war or after some calamity, uh, they'll come in with money, but in, in exchange they want to you know, re, you know, have the par- parliament dissolved, have new elections, you know, get you know, security services purged, basically, uh, put in UN troops and peacekeeping roles and so forth. But as you said, a completely... Um, usurping the, the, the sovereignty of the country. So you, you don't think there's any chance the itself. I mean, they, the, the aid is not real. They never really bring aid. I mean, they've been spe- spending, what, over a trillion dollars in Afghanistan over the last uh, 18 years? And, you know, Afghanistan is a run-down country. Why? Because the money that goes in doesn't go to the Afghani people. It goes to American NGOs who are extremely well paid. It goes to the military. It goes to uh, American business people and so on. But the Afghani people have don't get anything out of this. So on the one hand, the Americans are spending money through, you know, their, the, their practices in Afghanistan are extremely corrupt. We've seen the, ex, the, product, the, the export of uh, drugs from Afghanistan leap 30-fold after the fall of the Taliban. I mean, the Taliban was horrible, but look how awful the American rule in Afghanistan is. That has increased 30-fold. People continue to be deeply impoverished. Huge amounts of money are being spent in the country. Yet, and they all, they call it aid. And ordinary Americans, I'm sure, out of their, you know, their, the ignorance of many ordinary Americans, they think that they're, they're, they're being too kind to the Afghanistani people because they're being misinformed by the, the regime in Washington or, or and the media. That money is not going to the people of Afghanistan. It's going into the pockets of people who are connected to power in Washington. 
So people's money in the United States are being taken away from them. It's not being given to the people of Afghanistan. The people of Afghanistan are subjugated and oppressed by the Americans. And ordinary Americans don't even know that the, you know, the Taliban that has created such ruin in Afghanistan was created by the United States and Saudi Arabia in order to, in the 80s, to, to fight the Soviet Union. And afterwards, they use them as proxies, as we saw later on in, in Syria. Al-Qaeda were, you know, became active in Syria under American and Saudi and Turkish guidance. So, you know, this notion of aid to Lebanon is nonsense. If the American government is serious about helping the people of Lebanon, they would remove the sanctions. They would allow uh, people to carry out business. Right now, the Israeli regime on a daily basis, their planes violate uh, Lebanese airspace. Their drones are constantly flying over uh, Beirut. That is, a you know, no country would accept that. But for the Americans and the Europeans, it's fine. Whatever the Israelis do is fine. When they bomb Syria to weaken the Syrian government and to strengthen these extremist groups. That's all fine for the Europeans and the Americans. So when they speak about aid, no one believes them. The only people who believe them are some naive Americans or some naive Europeans, and they actually get angry at the people of Lebanon or Muslims or the people of Afghanistan because they think that they, these people are taking advantage of their taxpayer money Whereas, in fact, these people get nothing but, dis- but, but ruined lives. Yeah, the USAID is, is one of the main dispersers of aid from uh, underneath the U.S. State Department's umbrella. And we saw with you know, the, the Clinton-Bush partnership in Haiti uh, how much waste and uh, malfeasance came from that organization. But it's basically patronage to you know, Lebanese businesses to make them more pro-American and then corporate welfare for U.S. Uh, contractors to basically get money through USAID to provide whatever services uh, in those countries. But as you said, very little has any impact really on the people who live there. But the last question I'll ask you is, if there were no sanctions on Lebanon, Syria, and Iran, and this type of a situation happens, this disaster happens, would, would they need an international response or could they get all of the help? Could Lebanon get all of the help uh, from other Arab countries that it would need to, you know, fix and to, you know, provide people whatever the emergency assistance is. What would the situation look like? Well, it would be very different because Lebanon would be able to uh, carry out business with Syria and it's uh, they are neighboring countries. Right now, the Americans are preventing uh, trade from carrying, being carried out. They don't want ordinary Syrians to do business and to make money to earn a living, and they don't want the ordinary Lebanese to do the same. And that's true between Iraq and Iran. The Americans are trying to pressure Iraqis not to do business with Iranians. It's sort of like preventing Mexico and the United States or Canada and the United States, you know, NAFTA aside, but in general, I mean, from, from doing trade. The Americans are trying to impoverish the people of the region in order to dictate terms. And uh, again, they give aid, but only to certain businesses, certain people, and then they try to crush the rest of society so that society becomes obedient. And one of the things that you, I think your listeners should keep in mind is that often they say, why do people, if America is so bad, why does everyone want to go to America, to the United States? Well, you know, it's because... The United States keeps destroying their countries. 
where do people, if, if I, you know, if, when you destroy people, a, a city, a country, a town, a village, people are going to move. They're going to move somewhere safe. So when the Americans destroy Afghanistan, when they destroy Iraq, they supported Saddam, they created Saddam, they gave him chemical weapons to use against Iranians and against his own people, then they destroyed Saddam. They created Al-Qaeda in Afghanistan, then they go and invade Afghanistan because of Al-Qaeda and the Taliban. They help uh, ISIS and Al-Qaeda in Syria, and then the, 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 they have to manage the fallout and the explosions that take place in the United States or the attacks in the United States and Europe. And they cr- destroy these countries. Where did the people, you know, when Syria is destroyed, where do people go? They go somewhere safe. Well, you've already destroyed Iraq, so they can't go there. You've destroyed Yemen, so they can't go there. They've destroyed Libya, so they, you know, so where do people go? They, get, they go to the only places that are safe, and that's Western countries. So if they don't want these people like me, dark-skinned immigrants with st- strange names, then stop bombing their countries, stop sanctioning them, and probably they'd stop moving towards Europe and the United States. Yep, whole, whole swaths of of people from Lebanon, from Syria, uh, relocating to Canada, to Australia, uh, to different European countries, to the United States, uh, just to have stability, basically, to carry on with their lives um, and you know have working education system and all the basics that you would expect in any country that wasn't uh, becoming a pressure cooker uh, because of what the, the forces that are being imposed upon it. But yes, that's the story uh, of the region. So we shall see. Um, last thing, do you, do you, what do you expect with the appointment of Elliot Abrams as the special envoy to Iran? Well, I, I think it reflects the inhumanity of Trump and the Trump regime, um, but uh, which, of course, I don't consider to be any more inhumane than the Obama regime. But, uh, but Abrams, I think if anyone just looks him up, they'll know that he's uh, created many crimes against humanity in the Americas, in, in Latin America and South America, and that he is in charge of trying to strangle the people of Venezuela. Uh, if the U.S. government does not like the Venezuelan government, uh, they they believe that they have the right to force ordinary people in Venezuela to suffer. And the Western media, the American media, is obedient to, to Washington, and they will not complain about it. These are crimes against humanity. So he is now in charge of, you know, the the, file, the Iran file in Washington as well. But it's not going to make a difference because the person before him was just as brutal and inhumane. But uh, I think the problem that the U.S. government doesn't seem to recognize is that its power is declining and declining rapidly. And they do not have the ability to control the situation in our part of the world or anywhere else as they did in the past. And the irony is that as the United States is trying to subjugate Iran and Afghanistan and Iraq and Yemen and uh, Latin Latin America, the Chinese are not spending all these trillions of dollars waging wars and and carrying out occupations uh, across the world. So the Americans are basically wearing themselves out and the Chinese are much more intelligent and smart and and wise when it comes to foreign policy, regardless of what you or I may think about the Chinese government. Uh, I, you know, I, I'm, I'm sure that 
many Americans have heard many things about China. I've been to China many times. It's very different from what the American media says. But, you know, that's, they have their model. I'm not very happy with the American model either. So, but in any case, Americans who are so worried about the rise of China, they are bringing down their own country through all these inhumane occupations, which is both draining U.S. resources and it is making the United States despised across the world. Mm, familiar pattern uh, with other empires uh, throughout history. So we, we may be reaching that uh, twilight phase of the current uh, U.S.-led world order. Certainly a lot of people, a lot of scholars are saying this right now. But um, that's it for this segment. But I want to thank you for joining us, Dr. Mohammed Mirandi from the University of Tehran. Thank you for having me, and I hope you and your listeners have a very good day. And you too, and you too. There he goes, ladies and gentlemen, as Dr. Mohammed Mirandi. There's a link on the show page to his Twitter feed. Uh, if you want to keep abreast of developments in the Middle East, I suggest you follow that Twitter account. We're going to take a short break, and we're going to connect with our roving correspondent for culture and sport, Basil Valentine, on the other side to talk about Australia's lockdown. We'll be right back after this short break. Mm-hmm. 